Hey guys, happy Monday. I hope everybody's having a fantastic start to their week. I wanted to give you a brief update on some of my goings-on. As some of you know, I've been doing some work for Bacon Sports. Uh, Bacon Sports is a sports content and social media marketing agency that I've been putting some work in for and creating some content and doing some sales outreach for them. And uh, wanted to give you a sneak peek into one of the projects I've been leading is a new podcast we're going to be putting out focused on sports birthdays and events in sports history. Um, it's going to drop every Monday and focus on that week of events and birthdays. And this week, of course, the 3rd through the 9th had some good ones. And I uh, hope you enjoy the listen. Make it over to BaconSports.com if you can and see some of the other things that we've got going on. And if you know anybody that uh, is looking to extend their sports-related content um, or social media services, uh, we do events and video as well. And, uh, of course, podcasting is uh, one of my favorites. Send us all your recommendations. Send them our way, and we will be more than happy to help them out. Have a great week, and as a matter of fact, have an epic week. Welcome to Epic Week by Bacon Sports. I am Tom Pellegrino along with uh, my podcast tag team partner, Nick Schwedering. Nick, how you doing? I'm doing damn good. How are you, Tom? I'm doing great. This episode will cover December 3rd through December 9th, where we will cover sports birthdays and anniversaries that happen this week. We each have two sports figures that we're going to bring up, and then a couple of people receiving votes and a couple of key anniversaries. Nick, take it away with your first birthday. All right, my first guy, December 7th, 1956, was born the Hick from French Lick, the Great White Hope, Larry Legend, you know him as Larry Bird. Tom, for me, the first thing that comes to mind when I think of Larry Legend, aside from his sharp shooting, is his legendary trash talking. There are so many hilarious stories of Larry dishing out verbal abuse to opposing players and coaches, but here are a few of note. Before the 1986 three-point contest, Larry walks into the locker room. We're sitting around our other contestants, and he stands around. He's not saying anything. There's kind of an awkward silence building up, and finally he breaks the silence, and he goes, I'm just looking around to see who's finishing second because I'm winning this bleeping thing. Unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, the next one I, I read about is in Chicago. Doug Collins is, in the, is the coach of the Bulls, and I guess they botched his ticket request. Not only that, but when he takes the floor, he sees that they're going to guard him with Ben Piquet. So he turns to Doug Collins and he goes, Ben Piquet, are you bleeping kidding me? And then he proceeds to ask what the scoring record is in the building. <laughs> he finishes at halftime, he's got 33. And one of the best ones I've ever heard is when he told Xavier McDaniel exactly how and where he was going to splash the buzzer beater in his face, and he proceeded to do just that. I mean, we're talking the exact spot on the court. All sorts of, I mean, there's more and more of these. There's a link of like 20 or so of them. Check it out. We'll put it in the show notes. But aside from his incredible trolling, everybody remembers Larry Bird uh, and the Celtics with their great rivalry, one of the greatest rivalries in basketball, the Lakers and Magic Johnson. And if you need a documentary recommendation, one of the best I've seen in sports is Magic and Bird, A Courtship of Rivals. Really got to check this out. I think HBO did it, and you can find it on YouTube as well. It's a story of how Magic and Larry had this fierce rivalry on the court, but they actually became friends off the court, something that wasn't really seen in the public eye. A few things that, Tom, you may not know about Larry Bird. 
Uh, one stat that I liked was before drafting Larry, the Celtics had their worst year in 30 years with only 32 wins. In their first year with Larry, they finished first in the East, got eliminated in the conference finals, but still, that's a huge turnaround. He got rookie of the year, something that Magic Johnson really took exception to and uh, uh, fueled their rivalry, actually. The Twitter logo. Tom, did you know that that Twitter logo, the little bird, is named Larry the Bird? I only found out about that a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think I was playing HQ Sports, and that came up. They said, what's the name of the Twitter logo? And (laughs) I think I managed to get that right, but Larry was one of the options. I only learned this myself a couple weeks back. Yeah, so I think one of their co-founders is from the Massachusetts or Boston area. That's what I read. But another one that I'll leave you off with is Larry Bird, the Cannabis Strain. Now, Vic Mensa mentions this in his track featuring G-Eazy named Reverse. And they say, you boys smoking dirt, we smoking Larry Bird. Now, I'm not advocating for cannabis use on this podcast, but just a fun fact that I wanted to throw out there. He's in pop culture everywhere. Over to you, Tom. All right. Um, December 7th, 1947 was the birth date of Johnny Bench. So the first thing that comes up when you think about him is the Big Red Machine. He played his entire career, 17 years with the Cincinnati Reds, the and the key cog of the Big Red Machine as the catcher, always in the GOAT debate for catcher with Yogi Berra, who the case for Yogi is he has more rings, Carlton Fisk, who the case is did it longer, Roy Campanella might have been a better hitter. Mike Piazza was a better power hitter, but Bench claims Bench's claim is always the all-around game. He could throw people out. He called games really well, and he is still the Reds' all-time leader in home runs with 389 and RBIs with 1376. He won the Rookie of the Year in 1968, two-time National League MVP, once in 1970, once in 1972, and the World Series MVP in 1976, the second of the Big Red Machine uh, World Series wins. Second pick, uh, or second round, 36th overall pick uh, for the Reds. Best pick by far of the round. In fact, I barely heard of anybody else who, who went in the round when he was taken. And but the the fun part I wanted to bring up is twofold. One, he was from Binger, Oklahoma, and in Oklahoma City there is Johnny Bench Drive. They named a street mm-hmm. after him. And from 1980 to 1985, Johnny Bench co-hosted a Sunday morning, not cartoon, but a Sunday morning TV show about baseball called The Baseball Bunch. It was, he co-hosted it with Tommy Lasorda and the San Diego Chicken. <laughs> and Incredible. It, it, it is awesome. And I remember watching this as a kid. And unfortunately, I was I did a quick search to see maybe some classic sports channel has this like on, or on demand has it on cable. You can't find that. But if you go on YouTube, it does not disappoint. The show had eight kids that were the bunch, and they kind of rotated out. They were always kind of in between, you know, ages eight and 13, 14. Um, and then every week he would have Bench and Lasorda and the San Diego Chicken would have a baseball star of the day on there. And if you go on YouTube, you will find clips of this. It doesn't disappoint. It is as scripted and wooden and has all the dad jokes you possibly want out of an 80s TV show. 
It is outstanding. So while we remember Johnny Bench as as probably the greatest catcher of all time, we also have to make sure that you go to YouTube and search for The Baseball Bunch and just sit back and enjoy early, early 80s television. That's so funny. And linking up Bench and Lasorda may be controversial back then with the Reds-Dodgers rivalry. Oh, yeah. I didn't, th- I didn't even think about that, but they all seemed to get along or at least were able to shoot a show. Heck, yeah. All right. So my second guy, also a Dodger. December 7th, 1990. Let's play a game of the good, the bad, and the ugly for Yasiel Puig. First, the good. Nicknamed the Wild Horse by my all-time favorite announcer, Vin Scully. The nickname, of course, referencing his super aggressive style of play, especially his base running. We know Puig as a five-tool player. He's got speed. He's got power. He's got an incredible arm from the outfield. His relationship with Scully is actually pretty touching. It remains warm to this day. Scully once called him the maestro of bat flipping. And if you can, <laughs> if you can convince an old school guy like Vin to embrace the bat flip, I think you really have something going for you. Um, the bad. Let's get to the bad. All right. Some of the bat flipping and the flair. This is kind of subject to interpretation, but it rubs some people the wrong way. And he certainly had his fair share of run-ins with Madison Bumgarner. On one occasion, Mad Bum accused Puig of staring him down, which prompted even more flair with T-shirts and a hashtag Puig not looking at you. So, I mean, you know, take it for what you will. Sometimes that can be like seen as showing people up, but not, it doesn't offend everybody. So let's get to the ugly because this is the craziest part. This has to do with his 2012 defection from Cuba to Mexico. It's so crazy that Hollywood has purchased the rights to this story for a future film. It all started in 2009 when Puig tried to defect to Mexico at least five times. Now, here are five five separate but equally terrifying outcomes of those failed attempts. Number one, car pulled over by police. Number two, boat failed to arrive. Number three, police raided safe house. Number four, U.S. Coast Guard intercepts the boat. And last but not least, number five, the most terrifying of all. He actually makes it to Mexico. He's taken there by Los Zetas, an infamously murderous and gang, you know, drug-related narcos cartel. He's held there for three weeks on Isla Mujeres, waiting for payment from some sort of shady representative in the U.S. Uh, they often threatened him with machetazo, which means a whack with a machete. They said they'd cut off his arm and he'd never play baseball again if this money didn't arrive. Now, eventually it did, and he's here playing baseball. This is a really crazy story. (laughs) Overall, I'm a huge fan of Puig. Um, He seems like a very nice guy to me. Obviously, like I said, he rubs some people the wrong way with some of his flair, uh, but he's a huge philanthropist, and if Vin Scully loves him, so do I. Hashtag Puig your friend. Over to you, Tom. All right. December 5th, 1947 uh, is Jim Plunkett. And it is easily the most underappreciated sports century subject ever. Jim Plunkett is, if you're ever down and out and thought things would turn out to be better and you're kind of going through a bad stretch, go find this sports century and watch it. And you'll immediately go, okay, things will get better. So the first thing that pops up when you think about him, actually, is he's a two-time Super Bowl winning quarterback. Super Bowl 15 with the Oakland Raiders and Super Bowl 18 with the Los Angeles Raiders. He was the 1970 Heisman Trophy winner from Stanford. 
He beat Notre Dame's Joe Theismann and Archie Manning of Ole Miss to win the award. But he gets drafted number one overall by the New England Patriots, uh, one ahead of Archie Manning, five ahead of Hall of Famer John Riggins, 19 ahead of Hall of Famer Jack Youngblood. He starts for the Pats for five years. His record with the Pats is 23 and 38 with 25 more interceptions than touchdowns. So the Patriots decide they're through with them. He goes to the 49ers, starts for them, record of 11 and 15 in two years, eight more picks than touchdowns. He's basically kind of down and out. And then he joins the Oakland Raiders and he's serving there mainly as a reserve backup quarterback. He didn't throw a pass in 1978 and just 15 passes in 1979. But when Oakland's starting quarterback got hurt midway through the year, Plunkett guides Oakland to nine victories in 11 games and a playoff berth as a wild card. He then leads the Raiders to four playoff victories, including the first ever victory by a wild card team in the Super Bowl, beating the Eagles 27 to 10 in Super Bowl 15. He was named the game's MVP, throwing for 261 yards and three touchdowns. Wow. So then he starts he starts a couple years, goes back to the bench. Then in 1983, he again resumes starting duties after Mark Wilson gets hurt and takes takes the Raiders to Super Bowl 18 where they beat the Washington Redskins 38 to 9 where Plunkett threw 172 yards and a touchdown in the game. I mean, the dude stuck with it. If you're looking <laughs> For a feel-good story, except no substitute. And like I said, I don't know if you can find this sports entry anymore, but when it was on, I always watched it. It is awesome. And when I saw that his birthday was this week, I had to jump on it and let you know because he easily is the last guy you think about when you think about quarterbacks that have won multiple Super Bowls. Very true. All right. That's super cool. Oh, it's awesome. So we're going to go to honorable mentions. Um, I'll go first because, because Nick, you found the ultimate. So I'll, <laughs> I'll go first for my two. One honorable mention, Todd Van Poppel was born on December 9th. Todd Van Poppel is known for having the most highly touted baseball rookie card that went nowhere. Check out his 1991 score first round draft pick. Uh, card and it was easily before he even pitched a ball worth like ten dollars which when you're like 11 years old that's a lot of money and he was 40 and 52 for his career win-loss record but anybody who grew up in the 80s and 90s collecting baseball cards has absolutely heard the name Todd Van Poppel the other one is today December 3rd is the anniversary of Wilt Chamberlain's college basketball debut at Kansas. He dropped 52 in his <laughs> first game. No three-point shots, no nothing. He comes out and, and drops 52. That's crazy. What a start. All right, for my honorable mentions, I'm going to start you off with December 5th, Christian Yellick flirted with the Triple Crown last year, really coming into his own. I think he's got a bright future ahead of him for many years to come. Second, December 9th, Deacon Jones coined the phrase, sack the quarterback. He had the famous move, the head slap that was outlawed after he retired. And last but not least, a very relevant one, December 9th, David Akers had to be the best trolling I've ever seen. Uh, The NFL draft was in Dallas this past year, and he's announcing a Philly pick. 
Obviously, he played for the Eagles for most of his career. And after Tom sends us off, we're going to leave you with the clip. Tom, take it away. Please be sure to subscribe to Epic Week by Bacon Sports and follow Bacon Sports on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Please subscribe and rate Epic Week by Bacon Sports. Appreciate it if it's five stars. <laughs> we work with the best brands to create content that engages sports fans and the lifestyle of sports. For Nick Schwedering, I'm Tom Pellegrino. Make it an epic week. And David Akers, take us out of here. Go right now. We got a kicker with a pick. The Indianapolis Colts have traded the 49th pick to the Philadelphia Eagles. To announce the Philadelphia Eagles selection, please welcome from the University of Louisville, kicker David Akers. What's up, Dad? Cowboys. Last year.